Super Talk Mississippi media production. In the Mississippi Legislature, Senate Bill 2145 funds health care for illegal immigrants. Call your legislator today at 601-359-3770. Ask them to stop Senate Bill 2145. It's not too late. You can help stop this. Paid for by Building America's Future. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. What's not to love about my guest today on In a Mississippi Minute besides gloating and infectious smile, always full of energy and optimism? She has penned songs, and I'm not talking about just any songs for hit artists, including a heaping handful of number ones. Can I start with, say, Garth Brooks' The River? I mean, come on. We've known each other since our move to Nashville back in the early 90s. Please welcome smash hit singer-songwriter, recording artist, and producer, Victoria Shaw. Hello there. Wow, that's quite the introduction. I'm so impressed with me. See that? (laughs) See? Yeah. I see you as somebody, first of all, that grew up in the industry, right? And and, and you... Not really. Well, I thought... As a kid? Well, as a kid, didn't didn't you tell me years ago that your mom was an artist and... Oh, yes, but actually, funny enough, that was really, they got out of it when they started having kids, so oh, okay. they were in the industry, but we, I had music all through my life, because, you know, they were, they were very musical. I want to go back to, to the beginning for you as a kid. Uh, did you grow up in L.A. or New York? In L.A. Is this therapy, or is this an interview? Well, it could end up being both. <laughs> it's going to end up being both. This okay. is the most unusual interview you'll ever get. I'm not asking you any questions anybody else has asked. You're, oh, well, then that will be fun. Okay, well, so far, you've already started. Um, yes, I grew up in Los Angeles, even though I was born in New York. The two country music meccas, as you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up in, in L.A. and uh, had my first band when I was uh, 13 and wrote my first song when I was 12. Yeah. And I've, I've been working in bands ever since, you know, all through my teens, just playing, you know, high school, high school dances and weddings and uh, all sorts of events, you know, whatever was happening. I, I worked on the weekends. I wasn't allowed to hang out with the guys because they were a couple of years older. They were my sister's friends. Right. I, but I could go to the gig, play the gig, and I had to come home. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I <laughs> that get was that. The rule. I had an older yeah. sister that was two years older, and I definitely didn't need to hang out with her. She was a rock star. Right. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, these were good kids, good boys, but, you know, they still were. And my sister's three years older, so I, you know, I really couldn't hang out with them. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah, so, so you're doing that, and then musically, stylistically, so I grew up in the land of the blues. I was sneaking in blues clubs about that age, and, and there were mm-hmm. more there were more houses, uh, little shotgun joints, we called them. Uh, and so that's sort of where I learned to cut my teeth. 
and obviously it wasn't anything in the country world. So where where were you playing? What were you playing? Obviously not. Well, you, you know, in Los Angeles or where I grew up, it was near what they called like canyon music. You know, the Eagles, Jackson Brown. Right. You know, there was a lot, and there's a lot of you know James Taylor happening uh, with the Ronstadt. So what's funny is I didn't really I listened to James Taylor, but I wasn't huge into the Eagles or Linda Ronstadt of that whole sound. My sister was, and most of the world was. So I had to just learn. I mean, I love them now. Now I realize, you know, like, they're gods. But back then it was just top 40. And when you think about it, all those artists I just named would be country artists today if they ever came out. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, where would so you put So it had them? this right. kind of California, rock, canyon, country vibe. And, and that, was, that was what was top 40. So I played a lot of that, Doobie Brothers, whatever... Whatever was in the top 40, I played. What I listened to at home, though, was completely different, so I think I had a really broad spectrum of um, music. So so let's let's continue on this path for a second while, yes. while I'm in the therapy. You're laying down right now? I got you in your therapy <laughs> I'm mode. I'm actually pacing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you need to be. <laughs> uh, so we're talking to Victoria Shaw, smash it, songwriter and producer, uh-huh. and your body of work, uh, you just don't mess around. And people don't understand how hard it is to have a number one. All the stars have to align. Once you get in that yeah. top three or four, it becomes yeah. a, a game of holding on to the past play versus the new. And, and is your record label willing to go the extra mile? Everything has to work. And, and right. so to have one, much less, you know, like I said, that handful, that, that's amazing to me. And uh, you've done so much more. Did you play the like the three and a half, four hour sets like I did, like oh, taking ab- 15 minutes? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that is the best uh, learning ground for anybody who wants to be, you know, a a, um, performer, because it is just, as you know, it's invaluable. First of all, if you can sing for four hours, you know, night after night, then that means you're singing correctly. You know, if you're not losing your voice and it's like a muscle. So the more you use it, the better it's going to be. And you also learn. I'm sure you did too. How to keep the crowd? Why are we losing the crowd? What song isn't working, or what can I do better? And you know, I found that when I became when I turned 18, I actually moved to New York by myself and didn't have a band. So I got jobs playing in in bars and piano bars, and that really, really was a great education because I wanted to hold their attention. I didn't want them talking, even though that's what a normal piano bar oh, player yeah. does. I didn't want them to. I wanted them to be. Uh, you know, captured by me. And right. you know what? I, I kind of found out how to do it. And they came in to see me, and they were, you know, attentive, and they and they, they did listen. And um, it, it was great. But you have to really go to school to do that, because it takes years and years to realize, okay, I'm losing them. What, I'm going to pull out my other little special song that always gets them back. And you, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking right. about. Right. And, and every crowd sort of, well, at some point after you played so much, you yeah, see you a rerun of that crowd. So it's almost yeah. like, oh, I've been here before, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you yeah. know where to go. And totally. uh, it, it's interesting. We're talking to Victoria Shaw. You're in a Mississippi minute. All 60 of them, we're having a blast. We haven't talked in a long time. We've been emailing and texts. We're going to do a show <laughs> in South Dakota together that's uh, at a friend's. Uh, it's like sort fun. of Night at the Bluebird sort of style. Obviously, mm-hmm. cliche now at this point, but uh, looking forward to that. So, Victoria, mm-hmm. grow, when, when did you make the move to Nashville? Was it late late 80s? Uh, early 80s, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I, well the, not the move, but I started to visit Nashville in the, in the mid-80s, early, early mid-80s. I um, just started to take trips there, trying to, you know, hello, I'm here, somebody give me a record deal, <laughs> you know? Right. And nobody cared. Right. But uh, one night, I guess it was mid-80s, I don't know, one night um, 
Or one day a friend of mine had said, you should go to the Bluebird Cafe. I was like, what is that? Oh, it's this place, and they have this thing called In the Round. It's new, and you should see it. So I took myself to the Bluebird, when you could really get in there, because now it's so crowded. But I saw uh, an In the Round, as we call it, and it was um, Fred Knobloch. I love um, it. Mississippi, Tommy by the way. Over- you know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tommy Overstreet. Um, I mean, Paul Overstreet. Yep, sorry, Paul, Paul Overstreet. Yep. Um, Paul Davis. So and, you're all Mississippi um, right now. You started with Mississippi. It's a perfect show for you to funny. be on. Yeah. That's really, and Tom Schuyler. And literally, it was a religious epiphany experience. I had never seen anything like it. It changed my life because sitting there, I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do to get my record deal. I'm going to start writing hit songs for other people, and I'm going to get noticed that way. I mean, it was kind of naive, but right. I thought I had a knack for songwriting, and I thought, okay, this is my in. If I get noticed as a hit songwriter and then they find out I can sing, surely somebody's going to give me a right. record deal. Right. And it was, um, I kind of ch- shifted gears and focused solely on, you know, being becoming a hit songwriter. And it was a really long journey for me. First of all, it took me eight years to get a publishing deal in that town. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because I didn't commit 100% to being in Nashville. I kept splitting my time between New York and Nashville, driving back and forth and back and forth right. for years. Because I what had kind of car were we driving at this point? A Hyundai. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> One of the first Hyundais. They made, that's why I say they made Hyundais back then. <laughs> yes, they, yes, they did. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, I used to drive it back and forth. Um, and so I used to do that. That was before cell phones, actually. Uh, you know, so that was, I would sit with my tape recorder, you know, in the car and come up with song ideas or something. And, um, you know, I just... I really, I, I probably would have moved a little faster had I fully committed, mm-hmm. but my path was my path, you know, and it made me a better writer, I think, and a better performer, you know, and eventually, as you know, right. I finally st- started writing hits for other people. I got noticed, and I was lucky enough to be on Warner Brothers for uh, five years, a couple of albums. It was, you yeah, know, that's, it, all it, we got. I got to, that's all the time we yeah. can handle with that. You know, <laughs> well, it, you know so, I, it was, it was, it was a thrill to be on it. Really glad I could check that off my list and never go, oh, I never got that, you yeah. know? But, yeah, um, no, you got it. And and your path is similar to mine. I was waiting here and I was going to New York and L.A. So I was huh. I, I, I was I was going there and uh, Ahmed Erdogan was that whole Atlantic group was interested in me. And I sat down. I probably have told this on one of my shows before, uh, but 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 it's the truth. And it's I can't you know, I can't make up another one. So my my story was Ahmed Ahmed uh, sitting in there with his eyes closed. It was my second visit. I thought for sure we were getting signed. Uh, I'd got, they had asked me to go home and write some stuff. We were recording in the garage live, right? So it was right, like we got to right. get it right on sure. on on like a two track. I mean, it was funny how we did this back then. And he uh, he closes his eyes. I get through playing what I play him, and then lo and behold, he goes, "Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to play you something." And he plays me a work tape on cassette, which was what it was back then, mm-hmm. uh, with with Mark Cohen talking to him. Saying uh, this is a place walking in Memphis, and right. and he goes, Steve, I'm signing you or him. Who am I signing? And that was the wake up call of all wake up calls. And I didn't have that, and I, I knew that whatever had. And he couldn't figure me out. He goes, I don't know if you're country blues rock yeah, folk. Yeah. He goes, you've got some serious issues. He goes, but I, I know that you're going to get there, and but you've it may take you a long time because you're from this 
historic land that confuses people because musically it's just so rich and deep and there's so many different avenues of pop yeah yeah, pulling you you know like from gospel to to country to all these roots music we're with victoria shaw i've had enough in this segment i'm steve azar we'll be right back (laughs) in mississippi minute In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Would you help me carry down my suitcase to the door? I'm Steve Azar. You are back in a Mississippi Minute. We are with incredible artist, incredible songwriter, incredible producer, impacted so many lives like like Lady Annabella. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, Victoria Shaw... Uh, has just done wonders in Music City. It took her a while. We've talked about this. It took me 10 years, Victoria, before I had my first hit. Everybody thought I was 10 years younger than I was, and I wasn't. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your upbringing versus mine, because this is important because I'm the Lebanese Catholic kid four generations back, Mississippi Delta, whatever generations back, right? And my parents and grandparents are so Southern talking, but we had that in our genetic makeup. And I, I think my look and everything freaked everybody out. You come from from New York, is where you're really from. <laughs> and L.A. And yeah. L.A., well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, it, I was born in New York, but taken out to L.A. when I was five, so I don't know where I'm really from. I feel right. more connected to New York because I moved back at 18. But, but I'm two, really big, from both. two big metropolitan yeah. cities. Mecca, yeah. Yeah, Mecca so it's not like you were hanging out in Northern California, nope. like uh, in the Redwoods in or something. You know? Yeah, nope, nope. So it's it's really interesting that I I fell in love with country music having that background and my background was either pop or show tunes that my parents you know raised me on. Mm-hmm. So how did so that affect your songwriting versus being in Nashville? You said eight years first publishing deal. When did the transition take where you started going? Yeah. Oh, you mean for country music? Yeah, but when you started really feeling like Victoria Shaw's all this talent that you had been raised on and 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 the stuff that you knew that made you unique. Right. finally clicked with what was going on in Music City. Well, what's interesting is I don't think I realized how much country I actually knew until I started to, to kind of do my homework And when I was in Nashville. because well, And then I say homework, meaning being exposed, listening to exclusively country radio and all that stuff. Because, um, first of all, there, there was a lot of crossover country hits back in those days. So I knew a lot of those. I, I would say... Once I started listening to the radio more, anything from 1975 and up, I kind of was familiar with. It was the, you know, the history of it I had to really learn. But I did watch, you know, the Barbara Mandrell show every week. And I right. did watch, you know, Glenn Campbell. And I did watch, uh, uh, trying to think what other shows that, ha- you know, uh, Jim Stafford shows. I watched these shows, and, and they always had country music guests. I didn't realize after listening to the radio, like, oh, I've heard that song. I, right. I didn't know that was a thing. I've heard it. I've heard it. So I, I kind of had a, more of an education than I actually thought. Of course, the California country sound was influential. And then even the great songwriters, you know, of, uh, of show tunes was influenced. All of it influenced me. And when I got to Nashville, well, actually, how I ended up in country music was I was living, I moved to New York at 18 and moved to Long Island with my aunt uh, to live there for a little while and save some, you know, money on rent. And I had gotten a... a um, a job at a recording studio during the day. And I used to have to take the, the Long Island Railroad into New York City to go to this job. And 
one night I was coming home, and I, these lyrics came into my head. Um, I'm in a smoke-filled car on the LIRR, which is the Long Island Railroad. You know, home seems so far away. It's been a long night. And I just had these lyrics. I started writing it. When I got home to my aunt's house, it was very late. She didn't have a piano. The only thing I had was one of those small, really small Casio fun little pianos that are probably things. about a foot long, yeah. you know? yeah. And so when I sat in my bedroom, the only thing I could do was like, dun, 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 dun. It had this kind of country, you know, because you all can only play one note at a time. <laughs> so I did this thing, and I wrote this song out that night. And the next day when I got to my, uh, back to my job at the recording studio, I sat at the piano, and I, you know, played it out for real. And it was a really, I mean, it was a, cute, a good song, I thought. Right, right. I played, I, I played it for my, I sent, made it a cassette, and I played it for my dad back in L.A., and he, my dad was always one. My dad was always inventing things and going for his dreams, which is why I, I learned to do that myself. And he said, hey, next time you fly out to California, let's record this song. Wow. And, you know, right, and some of your other songs. So I was out in California. He found musicians because, you know, he asked around. Little did I know that the musicians he found were John Hobbs. And, I mean, some of the really, some of the really good musicians. ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. So um, we went in and, and recorded these songs and. My dad pressed them on 45 records, and then you're like, okay, now what do I do? Great dad. When I, I, when I went back to New York, a friend of mine, somebody had said, well, you've got to take it to the music director at the, at the, record, at the uh, radio station. What's a music director? Oh, he, you know, he programs all of the songs that's going to be played, and his name is Dean Hallam. So I called up it's this... It's Dean. Uh, you're kidding. Dean. No. So I called wow. up this record exec, uh, this uh, radio um, guy who... I didn't know, A, that this station was the biggest station in the country. Right. And B, that he was the biggest radio programmer in the, the country. The biggest market number one. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. And I, I called him up. And he, he also could be really tough, too. He wasn't known to be like of a course. pussycat. And um, I called him up and I said, hi, Mr. Hallam, my name is Victoria Shaw. And somebody, you know, I have this record and somebody told me that you were very nice and that I should play it for you. I love it. I think it's because I said you were very nice. He couldn't be mean. Right. Right. He was ready to go. <laughs> Yeah, and he goes, well, if you want to come in and play it for me, I'll give you my opinion, but, not, you know, we're not going to take it. And I said, okay, you know, I was kind of disappointed, but okay. So I went into his, you know, went to his place, and he listened to it. And it had, a, remember, it had a New York reference to the railroad. Right. And he said, uh, you know what, just leave this with me. And we had a wow. pleasant conversation. And I left, not thinking much. And about two days later, he called up, and he goes, Victoria, we just tried your, your song out on the radio. Come on. Yeah, and I said, "Oh my God, you have to do it again." I did. I, yeah. I wasn't. I, I want to hear listening. it. <laughs> and it turned out to be a hit, a big hit in New York. In New York. So that's your start. That's it. That was my start. And with this little song on a Casio. Uh, how much do piano. we? How much do we love Dad? I mean, we love Dad. I mean, my dad oh, yeah. and mom were the same way. They were pushing me when I would go. I've had enough of getting beat up. I'm tired. And they said, "Suck it up." You know. You know. What are you talking about? You know. Yeah. <laughs> Put that athletic gene back on. You know. When you lose, you get <laughs> up. Come on. This is. But I was so close to music. I. It was the closest thing I was. I've ever been. You know. You know what I mean. It was different from. It's in your from, blood. It's like. A, it's like. It's like a drug. It really is. It really is. And then when it lets you down, you just. You know. It, it hurts. It's a painful thing. Yeah. Now I've got a Casio story. I got to tell you real quick. Mine's, yeah. mine's quick. I used to in college. I had one of those little things, and I would make up songs. I would get up at six in the morning when everybody had a long night, and I mm -hmm. would get. We had this. We had four bedrooms, and there was this, this hall that had this great reverb, right? And they were all. There's like four four dormitory rooms 
in each hall with its own bathroom, right? I'd get in right. with my little Casio thing. I'd make up songs about everybody <laughs> trying to wake them up. And I annoy drove, the hell out of them. <laughs> no, I, I just drove them crazy until a couple of them were really big, and then they'd come get me. I'd run in my room and lock it up, you know? <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that, 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 that was me. Be, that's really funny. Okay, was the first hit the river, or was it I Love the Way You Love Me? Where where was the first? Okay, wait a minute. But wait a minute. Before I jump. So you mm-hmm. have that hit. Dean Hallam, who, for people that don't know, very influential radio guy. Once a guy like that speaks, people are listening. Did you get your publishing deal after that? No, not right away. No, actually, it was quite a few years. But I got my foot. At least people kind of started. Some people got to at least know who I was. And it, when I went back down to visit New York in Nashville, I think they were more annoyed, to be honest with you. Right. Because <laughs> I was taking up a slot. Of course you, know, you were. Where their artists could be. Yeah. So they did. Uh, and actually, um, I will say that Warner Brothers, uh, Martha Sharp, a very important woman, did they fly, flew me down to um, meet me? Like you know, but I wasn't ready, and you know, I was uh, I was so sad when they passed on me. But looking back now, oh my God, I was still so green. I didn't really exactly still know exactly who I was, what my sound was. Right. But it made me have friends, and I just went down there and just networked for years. So eight years later, to get to where your question is, I finally, finally got a publishing deal with a small publishing company owned by Gary Morris, the artist. Oh, yeah, great, great artist. He, yeah, he, he, and he got me, you know. He wasn't scared that I was a little bit left of center with my songwriting. And so he, he signed me, and, and within a, 12 months after, because it was eight years to get a publishing deal, but within a year, I had written three number ones. Uh, come on. Wait, 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 wait. This, see, this is a whole, whole nother <laughs> seven segments. Wait a minute. So that's when it just clicked. That was the moment. It, it didn't just click. It exploded. Meaning, I didn't just write them. I'm sorry. They were released. I had three number one records uh, that that's 12 amazing. Well, back then, too, songs were moving quicker. And you probably had artists. Obviously, your artists were, were great artists who were already moving quicker up the no, charts. No. No? No. Okay. What, I Love the Way You Love Me was on John Michael. He, had, he was a brand new artist. I was bummed that a brand new artist was taking such a good song so it was his first number one it put him on the map you know we like john michael he's a sweet guy and, oh he's uh, a very sweet and guy I, and I so yeah it, it went everywhere from doug stone to busy being in love and yes he was established and right, wait wait we can't Martin. we can't jump that quick i gotta talk about each oh. song this excites me because okay. this is why we okay. do it so let's talk okay. about your first hit was john michael montgomery or was it the river i think it was i love the way i think it was you can't say thank you no, gotta no, no, know no. that I, I, well, I mean, I can't. I don't know the order because they all came out, but I think "Too Busy and Being in Love" might have come out first. Okay, and that's Doug Stone. Yes. I mean, that's just something we got to hear. So I'm Steve Azar. Mm-hmm. You're in a Mississippi minute. We'll make it so. We're with Victoria Shaw, incredible artist, songwriter, producer. Uh, we'll be right back. But I have no regrets for not doing enough. Love is too busy. Yes, I was too busy being alone. Hey, folks, if you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night, give my buddy Chad and his team at Omni Pillow a go. Omni Pillow has a hundred day return policy, and listen to this they will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com, enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet. 
The news doesn't sleep, and neither do we. Fox News Radio, late breaking, up to the minute, from around the world, around the clock, here on Super Talk Mississippi. You know a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Trying to learn from what's behind you Never knowing what's in store Makes each day a constant battle I'm Steve Azar. You are in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, because you know that's how we roll here in Mississippi. Hey, Victoria. uh, Okay, your first, I was too busy being in love. Uh, Mm -hmm. Inspiration behind that? I mean, just sort of remember the the thought process in your mind. Did you have notes already when you went in? Did it fall out of the sky? Uh, Kind of fell out of the sky, to be honest with you. And and it's one of my happiest memories writing with one of my, who turned into my, one of my best friends in the whole world. Uh, I wrote it with Gary Burr. Right. And Gary is a Hall of Fame songwriter, and I always call him my musical spouse because we've had the most success together and, you know, we're just our best friends. And I have to call his wife my sister wife. And, so he um, wrote he wrote uh, Amy, right? No, or did he no, not? He wasn't sing it? Prairie. He was he in the band. Sing it. He, but um, he wrote that's my uh, job, you know, for Conway Twitty. Oh yeah, Just, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, he's yeah. remarkable. Yeah. And so I went over to his house, and he had this little um, beautiful melody. Da 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 da. On the you know he wrote, he played that on the guitar. He goes, mm-hmm. I just had this melody. He goes, it's actually a you know, just something that keeps going around and around in my mind. And so as he played it for me, I said, here's what's going on in my head. Here's the lyrics that are falling out of my mouth. It was, you know, if I had taken the time to write down a few lines, every time that you cross this heart of mine, it just felt like, oh, I don't know, the words it. just, you know, flew out. And then we just started writing. And I'll tell you one of the best lessons in that song, and we talk about it on stage a lot. Um, it taught me not to edit myself because in the chorus goes, um, I could have written the play so sweet and so funny. And then when it came down to the next line, I said, uh, okay, this is really stupid. This is so stupid, right. but I'm just going to say it. I said, you know, give old Mr. Shakespeare a run for his money. And right. he goes, I, I love it. I go, you do? And obviously people to this day go, that Shakespeare song, that Shakespeare song. They Isn't that funny? That. Isn't that funny? Yeah. The greatest lines sometimes are the closest things to the dumbest things you can yeah. say. And that's the yeah, best way to explain it. Yeah, but I learned never edit. Just say it because it yeah. might. It, if it's not right, it might spur on. It's a, a great lesson. Life. Great lesson yeah. for people out there that are wondering how to do it. I mean, that is the best lesson right there. And you know, for me, Mark Allen Springer, Roger Murr, really, Mark Allen Springer would go, Steve. I go, I just sit there, sunk in a chair. He goes, What is wrong with you? And I said, oh My God, I'm just. He goes, You just got to first of all, you you just got to take a break, and you, you just. What would you say next? What would you right. say next? I said, What? And he goes. Quit worrying about what would you say next? You're having a conversation yeah, and let it fly. It. Let it like in yeah. a com- anyway. So we're talking to Victoria Shaw. This is great. You and by the way, you sound fantastic at you know, this is amazing. <laughs> you still sound so amazing. You and I are supposed to be getting uh a little older, but I'd like to think we're getting a lot better. And Absolutely. uh your voice is still so pure as it always oh, always so was sweet. when you were a little little uh little kid. A little girl. The, right. <laughs> okay, so Victoria, so so tell me Take me to the river, which obviously Take Garth me Brooks. To the river. Oh, that's sorry. right. No, it's uh, all right. Wrong song. You can go. You can go to there. <laughs> um, so the river uh, wrote that uh, a few years prior to when it was released. Garth hadn't had his first 
record out yet. He had a deal, but he had no record out. He was still, he just quit, I think, selling at the boot store. And we were just, you know, as I always say, two wide-eyed dreamers, you know. That song mm-hmm. is so us. Um, you know, he had huge uh, dreams of grandeur that were so much bigger than anybody even could dream with him because I nobody had ever played arenas in country music, but he saw it. He saw it as clear as day, and I thought... Okay, this guy's a little delusional, but I, you know, right. <laughs> like the way he dreams. Um, I was, I mean, I was kidding about that. But w- that song is really us, you know. And um, wow. we were listening to James Taylor that day, and kind of getting in a folky mood. And then this song came out, and I tried mm. to, I tried to talk about the word vessel because I thought that's a weird word. Yeah. But now I, you know, vessel is my favorite word. I, use I will sell my vessel. <laughs> and he always laughs me, you know, he'll say sometimes in concert, like, or if we play on the round, he'll say, well, what did you want me to say? I will sail my boat, you know. What right, you right. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, so obviously, does this, does this song fly through the charts at this point? Yes, because at that point, it, it, what's interesting is he told me on the second record that it was going to make it. And I was so excited. And then he called me, I don't know, a couple months later and said, I'm so sorry, Vic, it's not working on this record. It just doesn't work. We're not going to put it on. And I thought, well, there goes my chance to be on a Garth Brooks record. Right. And then lo and behold, he, you know, he called again, uh, whatever, a year later, eight months later, and said, we're putting it on this album. And I was, you know, I was so thrilled. And by then he was truly just the god of country music. Right, right. And um, it, it really, it, it had to take somebody as big as he was to have a song that was over four minutes on the radio. Totally. And also just you know? the song itself because it stretched, it stretched the boundaries. And, yeah. You know, different. there was a little, there was some, uh, it was heavy. Also, let me ask you this. How long was mm-hmm. it number one? Do you have a bunch of weeks there? Oh, I think so. I, I couldn't tell you the, the exact amount, but yeah, it, it stayed up there a long time. You, should, you a, should know, because you should have had a party every week. The record labels back then <laughs> threw parties. No, they only give you one party. <laughs> That's a shame. Cheap son of a yeah. guns, I know. I know, I know. Yep, yeah. They would have billed Garth back for every party. He probably stopped. Probably. He was in control probably. at that point. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so the river... And you've had, okay, so I love the way you love me. I, I love John mm-hmm. Michael Montgomery. He's a good guy. Eddie, what a great guy, you know. And so yeah. what? where did that, that during this little six-month process, your, your boom, 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 uh, was the was I love the way you love me written a, a few years earlier the same as The River? No, the, the love the way you love me was written pretty quick, close to the time that it got recorded, probably within the year. Um, and it was uh, written with Chuck Cannon, mm-hmm. a wonderful writer. Yes. It was his first number one too. He, he became, you know, went off to become a hugely successful writer. Big with and, Toby, uh, obviously. Toby and him did a lot of stuff together. Yes, yeah. and we were both dating people at the time. That you know was you know we were just very emotional. And I, I had actually I had started writing the first like five lines came into my head up in New York when I was driving to a gig, and um, that was unusual for me. I actually had pulled over the side of the and the melody. Uh, I had to uh, pull over the side of the road and call in my phone machine so I wouldn't forget it. Yeah. And then I, I brought that idea down to Nashville, and I had never met Chuck, but we got um, put together to write, and I brought it out, and he really loved it. And, you know, we completed it together, and I thought it was pretty special. And I, I remember playing it for uh, Gary Morris at the time, who was, you know, an artist. And he really liked it, but he wanted me to change something, and I... I don't remember what it was to the, you know, I can't tell you, remember what it was, but he said, I think you should change this part. He goes, but don't ever change something if you truly, truly believe in it. And I guess I was not, I had no success at the time, but I said to him, I said, I think it's pretty complete, this song. I just really like it the way it is. He goes, that's fine. 
I'm not going to record it, but I, <laughs> nice. that's fine. That's right. nice. <laughs> and, and so I thought, well, there it goes. It's going to be in a drawer. But um, Randy Hart, who was the song plugger, took it and ran to um, you know, a few different artists. And I guess you know, he landed at Atlantic Records, and they heard it for this new artist named John Michael Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, oh, it's a new artist. It's never going to be heard. And boy, I hope this guy can sing because it's a really rangy song. And you know what? It was a great lesson for me to never um, hold your best songs only for the big artist because you could be the one that breaks the new artist. No, you know? you, no, it, it can, and and especially with somebody like John Michael, who you didn't know but was going to have staying power. We're talking to yeah, Victoria I mean, Shaw. Yeah, he became huge. Yeah, behind the hits, behind the hits. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you. Well, at least, uh, well, song pluggers for people that don't understand. You got your publisher. He's there to evaluate, help you along the way. He's probably, probably a lot of times have been a hit songwriter who's who's got their own company or an artist like uh gary morris or and roger murray in my case and mark allen spring and rafe van hoy that was my group but and rick sanchek of course real rick's dad was one of the founders of bmi his his uncle was jerry wexler we started having all of these crazy because wexler was with ahmed erdogan so there were all these connections Hmm. later in life rick and i started talking and this you know it wasn't it wasn't the first time it took years for us to start going wait a minute what <laughs> you know that's so wild so so take me uh to song pluggers for people that don't understand explain you know how to i like to explain song pluggers they go out and try to rent your song right because they don't sell them no that would mean that no. we don't own them anymore no. they rent them they they go out they try to get them rented so that you know when it's recorded and it's sold we get pennies for each one sold or played on the radio and somehow the pennies add up. So so and that's exactly right and they're they're incredible when they believe in a song you hear it over and over if you're in the other room writing in the writing room or whatever. I mean they they go after when you can find a plugger that believes in a song uh, then you're in, you got you got a good yeah, shot they don't of getting a cut. Make pluggers like that anymore. I I don't no, think it's there's no. very there's a very few excellent pluggers anymore because nowadays it's kind of like Oh, I tried to, you know, try to push it a couple of times. I didn't get the best reaction. So it must not be a great song as, as opposed to back in the day when they'd be like, no, 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 this is a great song. I'm not stopping until it gets, you know, right. cut. Deal. Okay. So you get to play DJ going into the break. We're with Victoria Shaw. You mentioned three of the first four people you saw in the round were all from Mississippi. So you tell me, do you want to hear a little Freddie Noblock, a little Paul Davis or a little Paul Overstreet? I got to tell you, I love them all, but I still ask my Amazon Echo to play Paul Davis all the time. So how about Paul Davis? You got it. We're Victoria Shaw. You're in Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. Feeling down? Here's your prescription for a daily dose of good news and positive vibes. Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Every afternoon, Rebecca highlights all the good things happening right here in the state you call home. Daily exposure to good things with Rebecca Turner may cause smiling, feelings of positivity, happiness, and even laughter. When you experience these symptoms, tell your friends to listen. Okay. Weekdays starting at 2 p.m. here on Super Talk Mississippi and now on Amazon Alexa devices. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I don't want to talk about who 
We are with Victoria Shaw, smash hit singer-songwriter. I'm looking for another word, but I can't find one besides smash. Goddess? Goddess? Goddess of songwriting <laughs> in Nashville. The redhead. Uh, there there's only two redheads. That, well, there's three. There's you, Jody, and Reba. And, uh, oh, right, right. I love our girl Reba. I love Jody. So, Victoria, Lady Annabellum. So, tell me I, uh, how all that went down with you and becoming their producer, with you and Worley. I, I knew Hillary Scott's mom for many, many years. And so I would see Hillary. Usually, actually, we share the same hairdresser, Linda and I. Um, one day, uh, uh, Linda invited me and my family to her first, uh, it was a Christmas special that she was doing, like a Christmas show, uh, all month in December at Opryland. Right. At the Opryland Hotel. And she invited us to come, and, you know, we went, and I hadn't seen uh, Hillary. You know, I, I, I only saw her, you know, periodically. But she came out, and she was 16, 15, 16, I don't know what she was, 16. And she came out to sing. It was a family, you know, country Christmas show. And she was so raw, but I just saw, like, a diamond in the rough. Mm-hmm. I, I just, like, my head turned like the RCA dog, like, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I had been looking for an artist to, to develop and become a producer on. And I said, you know what? I really think, you know, I'd like to develop you. I, I'm interested in becoming a producer. I was always producing the demos anyway, but I want to, you know, move it into it another place and um i said i am in no rush you're young and the first thing you need to do is finish up high school and enjoy the whole experience because i'm a mom and i would mm-hmm. never I, I just don't think people need to be dropped in out of high school to do it personally yes um i mean <laughs> I, i'm not one to talk but tell me I, anyway so she was doing really well in high school i said so we can meet once a week you know no big deal we're just going to start it slow and then, you know, we did. We met once or twice a week. I started, to, and then I started when she was 17. I brought her into a, a writing session. I, I started to explain, you know, how to become a good writer, how to do it. You know, kind of like going to school, but she got to be right. these hit songwriters. And then, you know, she went to college, and during that time, we, you know, she made her schedule so that she could write three days a week. And I signed her to a publishing deal, and I actually got her a, uh, a um, development deal on RCA Records. But when and she did great, but they still passed on her at the end of the showcase. And at the, around that time, I uh, sent her to do an audition for something, and she met Charles along the way. And she had recognized him from MySpace because she was a fan of Josh Kelly's. Right. And they started talking, and he said, "Do you write?" And she said, "Yes." And he said, "Well, I have this partner I write with. We should all get together." And I remember her calling me and saying, hey, I met this guy, I met these two guys, and we've been writing together, and it's really fun, and it's kind of goofy, because we, we came up with this funny name and did this funny photo shoot in the park. She goes, I think it's going to be a side project for all of us, but we're going <laughs> to play at the Exit Inn, so come see us. And I remember leaving, the, and I remember thinking, uh, when I left the house, thinking, I, I bet you this is going to make sense. I like to think that I kind of helped elevate them into great writers, but they came to, to town really good writers. Right. And um, I just saw them, and I thought, she looks so happy and safe, kind of like between two big brothers. And as I always say, like, I just made my arms bigger and just talked to the guys and said, I really believe in you guys, and I, I know I can get you a deal, so let's just start working. What you did for them. See, you got to have that, and a lot of people don't. It takes a lot of time. You, you think about yeah. The time I think a lot of people give up too early, and they uh, do. for me, I, I think I'm just I'm kind of like you. When I get obsessed with something, I, I don't even I don't even think about stopping. Right. You know, if I I feel like I've got something worthy, so I just keep going. And I was naive. I did it. You know, there was no roadmap, and I kind of right. did it my own way. So Victoria, so what's on your plate right now? 
Um, well, uh, let's see. I've just got uh, been writing a whole bunch of different things, but I mean, if you're asking me, like the most immediate, are you familiar with the Property Brothers? Of course, I am. I love them. They're great. Uh, yeah, they're great. They're very dear friends. So, believe it or not, I've been doing a lot of music with them. Stuff that has been on their TV show, or stuff that they they actually um, did some country stuff that uh, their one video went number one on uh, GAC. I mean, you, people should check it out. Their videos, the Scott Brothers. They're, they I won't love it. The Property Brothers, but um, they just uh, one of them just got married. Um, uh, just came back from his his wedding in Italy, and one of the things we did was write a song for his um, for his new wife to surprise her, and that's been doing really well because they used it on the TLC special, and so. Right now, if you go to uh, YouTube and look up uh, Drew Scott or a song called You Chose Me, that's doing, you know, it's been kind of fun because that just came out a couple weeks ago. And then I've got this adorable pop song out I'm really excited about because these 16-year-old twins, um, they're just these, uh, I don't know, they've got like 150,000 Instagram followers. I mean, they're they're really, it's amazing. This is a new new day, a new age. And we've got a song out that just came out two weeks ago called Block Is Number. And if anybody has any kid from 13 to 25, they should definitely get them to watch this video by Carly and Martina called Block His Number. It's a really good summertime song. I love and it. And what else? Yeah. And then I'm developing... Um, You're uh, doing nothing, it sounds like. You're developing what? Nothing. Yeah. A, a new artist that I'm not ready to talk about yet because it's okay. still in the, in the baby right. stages. But, but, you know, just just busy. <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, I, listen, it's just been a joy to catch up. Uh, just always in awe of, of you as a human being and, well, and a mom. You, oh, I love you. And I miss you. And I'm looking forward to uh, doing a, uh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be a little quirky and fun and, and unique. Well, I'm a little quirky and fun. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, <laughs> but the, they feed you great and it's an old pal of mine and uh, he appreciates uh-huh. it. And the room will be, be I, I try to dim, dim the lights more and more, but it's a country club. So what do you got? So, but, it, but it's for a great cause. We love you guys. Hey, Victoria, I'll catch up with you soon. Uh, you yep. have been in a Mississippi Minute with the fabulous, glorious, as she <laughs> called herself, what'd you call goddess Victoria <laughs> Shaw. We're gonna we're gonna let it eat from here. Bless you. Thank you. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. Media Production.